Derek, isn't it about lunchtime? It sure is, Megan, and I bet you're jonesing for some of Sarah Kramer's five-minute roasted red pepper pesto and pasta, aren't you, baby? Well, that sounds pretty delicious, but actually, I think I'm jonesing for some of Issa's Faustus cupcakes frosted with chocolate ganache and filled with fluffy white icing. Well, we are in luck, my little just-like honey friend, because it's Thursday at noon, the new time slot for Northampton, Massachusetts, to get their bi-monthly dose of the best vegan broadcast on the planet. Vegan Radio! Listeners, today you're in for a great show. We're doing the whole thing live for the first time. Now that we have the new later time slot, we have time to get organic soy mocha lattes from local cafes who don't name their end their name in bucks. We can be mentally prepared to give good radio to all our local and international listeners. We're going to have a live phone interview with Dr. Michael Greger, a physician, author, and internationally recognized speaker on a number of important public health and social justice issues. We'll be talking to him about the health benefits of veganism and why the Atkins makes your kidneys turn into toxic waste dumps. This will be the first in a series of interviews we're doing about what we call the vegan cure. Portions of this and other interviews we have been secretly conducting will be edited into a special show we will be doing next week for the Pacifica radio program, Sprouts. Sprouts is a half-hour show that showcases locally produced radio programs on Pacifica stations around the country. The February 22nd edition will feature Vegan Radio doing our show, The Vegan Cure. And also on this show, we'll be interviewing Anya, who's part of a collective farm in East Hampton, Massachusetts that grows organic produce and hosts workshops, rituals, and dances in the community. The collective isn't known as Touchstone, and we was recently targeted by a vicious building inspector who closed some of their main buildings. It seems that the city might be interested in developing land into condos for disconnected and socially isolated suburbanites. Vegan Radio is produced locally by Veganica Productions for Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. And we also podcast the show internationally. Check out www.veganradio.com for copies of all our shows. To subscribe to our podcast, to our email list, forums, blogs, or to get Vegan Radio merchandise, or for links to anything we talk about in our show. Thanks for tuning in. And now it's time for The Naked News. All right. Let me get my shoes off here. <laughs> That's not all you got to get off. All right. Our first item, scientists may have found meat link to colon cancer. Scientists said on Tuesday they may have found a reason why eating too much red meat increases the risk of colon cancer. By studying cells from volunteers eating different diets, they discovered that red meat raises levels of compounds in the large bowel, which can alter DNA and increase the likelihood of cancer. The chance of developing colon cancer was a third higher in people who regularly ate more than two portions of red or processed meat a day, compared to someone who ate less than one portion a week. Red meat consumption was linked to increased levels of substances called N-nitrous compounds, which are formed in the large bowel. The compounds may stick to DNA, making it more likely to undergo mutations that increase the odds of cancer. Colon cancer is one of the most common cancers in developed countries. More than 940,000 cases are diagnosed each year, and about 492,000 people die from the illness. That's a, a lot of bad colon. That's a lot of bad colon. A diet rich in fat, animal protein, and refined carbohydrates and lack of exercise are risk factors for the illness. Most cases are in people over 60 years old, and about 5% of them are inherited. 
diarrhea, constipation, and rectal bleeding can be symptoms. That sounds fun. Health experts estimate that about 70% of colon cancers could be prevented by changes in diet and nutrition. So simple. Yep. And for a funny little story, kind of <laughs> funny, um, Cheney accidentally shoots fellow hunter. Oh. <laughs> so unless you've been living in a cave, you've probably heard that Dick Cheney shot a hunting buddy accidentally while they were terrorizing quail in the name of sport. That's not Dan Quayle. Not the president. Not Dan Quayle. The candidate. For, the former Democratic presidential candidate, mind you. But Quayle, the bird species. <laughs> the following story is based on a Salon.com article we link to in our show notes at www.veganradio.com. In the original account authorized by Vice President Dick Cheney of his shooting of Harry Whittington, given by Captain... Sounds like he's got some vices. Yeah. Given by Catherine Armstrong, heiress and hunting companion, the 11 members of the hunting party set off on the morning of February 11th in two trucks for the wilds of the 50,000-acre Armstrong Ranch in search of quails. At dusk, Whittington, a 78-year-old Austin lawyer and local Republican fixer, shot a bird and went to retrieve it behind the others. Hearing rustling in the bushes, Cheney, who has lately been using a cane in public and wearing two different shoes for comfort, <laughs> reportedly quickly swiveled 180 degrees, 28-gauge shotgun in hand, and fired at what he believed were quails, but instead hit Whittington. I don't think he swiveled. I think he kind of bobbled. <laughs> <laughs> but, but instead hit Whittington 30, 30 yards distant. He got peppered pretty I think it would be good. good if it was like a reservoir dog thing where all, all 11 of them just like started shooting each other. <laughs> he got peppered pretty good, Armstrong said. There was some bleeding, but it wasn't horrible. He was more bruised. Was it rectal bleeding? Nah, I don't believe so, Derek. Uh. The circumstances, That'd be a of this, double whammy. the circumstances of this hunt were different from Cheney's previously celebrated 2003 hunt at the Rolling Rock Club in Pennsylvania, where he, Associate Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, and eight others killed 417 pheasants and an unknown number of mallard ducks, specifically raised for the purpose of being herded before the hunters to shoot. At that time, Cheney released to the scumbags. At that time, Cheney released to the press the information that he had personally killed seventy pheasants. What a man! In the less controlled environment of the Armstrong Ranch, the only known target he hit was Whittington. <laughs> the details of the story related by Armstrong, however, defied practical experience and were contradictory. Armstrong told NBC News that while she believed that no one was drinking alcohol, beer may have been served at lunch. Armstrong's statement about beer appeared on the MSNBC website, but was subsequently and inexplicably scrubbed. Dr. Pepper replaced beer. That's pretty unusual. Yeah. Dr. <laughs> Pepper replaced beer in later versions of Armstrong's telling. In an interview with Fox News Wednesday, Cheney admitted to having a beer earlier in the day. Oh, contrary, I, meant, I meant root beer. Yeah. Contrary to his statement to Texas officials. In further development, Dr. David, David Blanchard, Director of Emergency Services at the hospital Whittington is recovering in, said the 78-year-old attorney had a heart attack at 6.30 a.m. Tuesday as a re result of this inflammation caused by the pellet. He said a roughly 5-millimeter piece of shot became lodged in or alongside Whittington's heart muscle, causing the organ's upper two chambers to beat irregularly. The small bird shot that caused an atrial fibrillation was one of many that remained lodged in Whittington's face, neck, and upper torso after the shooting incident. I love when you say atrial fibrillation. <laughs> so, so not only... Were you practicing that all night? Oh, yeah. Not only did Cheney 
um, shoot this Whittington, he also, you know, practically, basically gave him a heart attack because of the shot that was lodged in his body. Apparently he hid out for like 18 hours after he did it, too. And <laughs> That's not wanna, true. It is. We've, Who told you we've that? Got, we've got some uh, audio of Cheney. You, you want to hear it? <laughs> sure. This is a surprise, listeners. <laughs> this is something that I was not aware of. He, uh, this is from Fox I'm News. The guy who pulled the trigger that fired the round that hit Harry. And uh, you can talk about all of the other conditions that existed at the time. You're a but jerk. That's the bottom line. And uh, there's no, uh, it's not Harry's fault. Uh, you can't blame <laughs> oh, he, he also else. tried to blame Harry. <laughs> he snuck up behind me. And, uh, <laughs> I say that's a I'll never forget. The, the image of him falling is something I'll never uh, Never be able to get out of my mind. Uh, oh. I fired, and there's Harry falling, and uh, it was—I'd uh, have to say—one of the worst days of my life at that moment. Quick dick. His face, right. his neck, and his upper torso on the right side of his body. And you, uh, and I take it you missed the bird. You <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, focus on the bird. But as soon as I fired and saw Harry there, I knew everything else went out of my mind. I don't know whether the bird went down or did. So did you run over to him? or Ran over to him. and um, Senile idiots uh, with what guns. Did, what did you see? He's lying there. He's not be allowed. He's laying there on his house. back, obviously, uh, bleeding. Um, you could see where the shot had struck him. He had enough of this. <laughs> one of the fortunate Does it talk about where he hit out? Uh, oh, no, this is Dick Cheney's version. In fact, covered me oh, well, yes, I've had enough. It's Fox News, man. You're not going to hear well, anything. On to the next news story. <laughs> enough of you. And, um, and, and, and Mr. Whittington was... What's next? All right. How are we going to top that one? Oh, we'll top it. McDonald's <laughs> fries have potential allergens. Not long after disclosing that its French fries contain more trans fat than thought, McDonald's Corporation said Monday that wheat and dairy ingredients are used to flavor the popular menu item. It's bad enough they're, they're flavored with lard, too. I know. An acknowledgement it had not previously made. The presence of those substances can cause allergic or other medical reactions in food-sensitive consumers. McDonald's had said until recently that its fries were free of gluten and milk or wheat allergens and safe to eat for those with dietary issues related to the consumption of dairy items. But the fast food company quietly added contains wheat and milk ingredients this month to the French fries listing on its website. The company said the move came in response to new rules by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for the packaged foods industry, including one requiring that the presence of common allergens such as milk, eggs, wheat, fish, or peanuts be reported. McDonald's Director of Global Nutrition, Kathy Kapika, said its potato suppliers remove all wheat and dairy proteins such as gluten, which can cause allergic reactions. But the flavoring agent in the cooking oil is a derivative of wheat and dairy ingredients, and the company decided to note their presence because of the FDA's stipulation that potential allergens be disclosed. The acknowledgement has stirred anger and some concern among consumers who are on gluten-free diets since it was posted on McDonald's website. If they're saying there's wheat and dairy derivatives in the oil, as far as anyone with this disease is concerned, there's actually wheat in it, said New York resident Jillian Williams, one of more than 2 million Americans with celiac disease, an autoimmune disorder triggered by gluten. McDonald's has been reluctant to risk changing the taste of its heavy-selling fries. It pledged in September 2002 to switch to a new oil that would have the level of harmful trans fatty acids in its fries, but it has delayed those plans, citing product quality and customer satisfaction as priorities while continuing testing. Blah, blah. 
asked about the status of its efforts Monday. Kapika said, it's a very high priority, and we are very committed to continuing with testing and lowering the level of trans fat without raising the level of saturated fat. But it's a lot harder than we originally thought. But that's not stopping us. <laughs> Why don't you take the beef out of your fries first? Yeah. <laughs> I think they did, actually. Wake up, McDonald's, everyone. I think they did take the beef out. No, maybe in, in India, I think they did. But oh. Americans don't care. Okay. They need more protein in their fries, you know. Next story. Muslim inmates want meat on the menu. Muslim prison inmates in Washington State are suing for the right to have specialized meals that include meat. The inmates in three lawsuits making their way through the system say their religion requires halal meals, which requires slaughter of animals in a tightly prescribed manner, the Seattle Times reported. Inmates in Washington state who choose a Muslim diet are an electo-ovo vegetarian meal plan, which includes eggs and milk products, the newspaper said. Thus, if a Muslim inmate wants to follow his religion, he has to become a vegetarian. About 4% of Washington's prison population identify themselves as Muslim. The State Department of Corrections has argued in response to the lawsuits that lacto-ovo vegetarian meals meet the Muslim inmates' religious needs as well as their nutritional needs. The inmates say the prison system is giving unequal treatment to Jewish prisoners who receive kosher meals. Should I go through for the old guidelines for halal what, slaughter? What is halal slaughter? Okay. The conditions required for halal slaughter of animals and birds are... The abattoir or factory must be under the close and constant supervision of a halal certifier. The premises, machinery, and equipment must be cleansed according to Islamic Sharia law before any production takes place. The slaughterman must be a mature and pious Muslim of sound mind who understands fully the fundamentals and conditions relating to halal slaughter and be approved by the religious authorities. Only acceptable live animals and birds can be slaughtered. The slaughter must be done manually using a stainless steel knife. Facilities must be available for rinsing the knife after each kill. The slaughterman must sever the respiratory tract, esophagus, and jugular vein. Nice. The animal must be completely dead before skinning takes place, which is unusual because on that factory farms... That doesn't usually farms, happen in it, the slaughter yeah, industry many, anymore. Many animals are being skinned while they're still uh, alive. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced the halal will uh, make sure that's going to happen, but... Well, and only halal animals and birds are halal slaughtered. of them anyway. Yes. On to the next story. The next story. Is it the sheep story yet? Ah, yes. <laughs> I don't know about the sheep story. Michigan uh, man receives jail time for sodomizing sheep. A, nice. Battle, a Battle Creek man charged with having sex with a sheep has been sentenced to prison. Jeffrey S. Haynes, 42, was sentenced to 30 months to 20 years in prison for sodomy. Haynes pleaded no contest in January to the charge. This whole incident defies description, justification, or excuse whatsoever, Callan County Circuit Court Judge Conrad Sint said during the sentencing hearing Monday. That's Haynes, a lot of S words. That was. Haynes was charged I'm very after proud police. Of you getting through that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you know I try. Haynes was charged after police said he. Haynes was charged oh, after no, police said it. he assaulted the sheep in Bedford Township on January 26, 2005. The owner of the animal caught Haynes in the property and found one of the sheep had been injured. He was charged after police sent a DNA sample from the sheep to the Michigan State Police Crime Lab. He was arrested in June. Couldn't even use a condom, I guess. Haynes told Sint, I take full responsibility for what I did wrong. I am sorry for what I did, but I am not a child molester and would never touch a child. 
Assistant Prosecutor Tamara Towns argued that while the crime was not against a person, Haynes should be ordered to register as a sex offender because it's possible that once out of prison, he would prey on children or vulnerable adults. He is a predator, Towns said. Or other farm animals. <laughs> the prosecutor is being real hard on me for what I did, he said. But I should not be treated as a child molester. Haynes has prior I convictions. Be treated as an animal molester. I know. Haynes has prior convictions for burglary, home invasion, and uttering and publishing, and was on parole for burglary at the time of the alleged crime. What is uttering? That's what I want. I'm not was quite like, sh- I don't know. Sucking on cow's udders? Or? <laughs> I'll leave that up to the listener's <laughs> Going imagination. straight to the source for the dairy. Sint said once he is released from prison, Haynes must register on the state sex offenders list. This act is so representative of someone who is sexually perverted that I will order he register on the sex offender list, Sint said. Sint said? Sint said. All right. Our next story was sent to us by Audrey, one of our dedicated listeners. Parrot's use of language astounds scientists. Vegan Radio is astounded that scientists can still be astounded. (laughs) The finding of a parent with an almost unparalleled power to communicate with people has brought scientists up short. The bird, a captive African gray called Nikisi, has a vocab of 950 words and shows signs of a sense of humor. He invents his own words and phrases if he is confronted with novel ideas with which his existing repertoire cannot cope, just as a human child would do. That makes him, like, smarter than half of the human population, doesn't it? <laughs> Nikisi's remarkable abilities, which are said to include telepathy, feature in the latest BBC well, I can read your mind. Wildlife magazine. Nikisi is believed to be one of the most advanced users of human language in the animal world. About 100 words are needed for half of all reading in English. So if Nikisi could read, he would be able to cope with a wide range of material. He could probably run the country better than Bush. <laughs> He uses words in context with past, present, and future tenses, and is often inventive. One Nikesiism was flied for flu, and another pretty small medicine to to describe the aromatherapy oils used by his owner, an artist based in New York. (laughs) Aromatherapy. When he first met Dr. Jane Goodall, the renowned chimpanzee expert, after seeing her in a picture with apes, Nikisi said, got a chimp? He appears to fancy himself as a humorist. Got a chimp. When another parrot hung upside down from its perch, he commented, you got to put this bird on the camera. <laughs> Dr. Goodall says Nikisi's verbal fireworks are an outstanding example of interspecies communication. Professor Do- Donald Broom of the University of Cambridge's School of Veterinary Medicine said, the more we look at the cognitive abilities of animals, the more advanced they appear, and the biggest leap of all has been with parrots. Alison Hales of the World Parrot Trust told BBC News Online, Nikisi's amazing vocabulary and sense of humor should make everyone who has a pet parrot consider whether they are meeting its needs. They may not be able to ask directly, but parrots are long-lived, and a bit of research now could mean an improved quality of life for years. I think if um, anything happens to me, you should have that parrot be your new (laughs) co-host. In it's fact, I'm funny. already thinking of the parrot being my new host. Well, you probably want to. <laughs> you're, you're actually on the line a little bit, and um, I'm thinking that Nikisi would just, you well, know, after the last kind of stories, fill in quite probably, nicely. You're probably thinking about dating the parrot, too. <laughs> <laughs> you better watch out if you do that. Good night, Derek. <laughs> and now for <laughs> local news. Enough of Derek's jibber jabber. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Is there ever enough? <laughs> Local news. There is a Tenny potluck. Tenny House, located on the Smith campus, 
at 152 Elm Street. Sunday, February 26 at 5 p.m., you're invited to Tenny House to feast on vegan treats. Is that this Sunday? No, that's next that's Sunday. That's next Sunday. Two Sundays. Yep. So just ring the doorbell. Please bring something to contribute to the potluck. There will be an opportunity to network with other activists in the area and to learn about current animal rights issues as well as to meet new people, eat, and have fun. They All hope right. to see us there. Vegan and Smithies. You can go to www. Go Vegan Smithies. W- Shout out to the Vegan Smithies. www.veganradio to get more information on that. And we've also got Meatless Meals Around the World cooking class at the Conard High School in West Hartford. Tuesdays, February 28th to March 21st from 6 to 9 p.m. Beginning Tuesday, February 28th, West Hartford's Adult Education Program offers Meatless Meals Around the World to introduce you to the unique flavors and aromas of cuisine from a variety of cultures, all without any animal products. These vegetarian meals have no cholesterol and are as healthy as they are delicious. Mm. The four-week class will include a Mexican fiesta, Caribbean getaway, Mediterranean specialties, and hearty Irish fare. You will learn how to make appetizers, entrees, and desserts, culminating in a sit-down meal each evening. The class will be held at Conard High School on Tuesdays from 6 to 9 p.m. once again, and the cost is $59 for for residents, $69 for non-residents, as well as a $30 materials fee. Ah. And you can check our show notes. You get to eat some of the materials, so that's good. Yes. Check our show notes for more info, www.veganradio.com. All right. Coming up next, we have Anya from Touchstone Farm. We're going to play a little bumper to uh, transition and get her set up. And we'll be right back with Vegan Radio. This is Jerry Cook with the film Peaceable Kingdom. I'm a pro activist uh, who calls North Carolina home. I'm here in Massachusetts. And you are listening to Vegan Radio on WXOJ Northampton 103.3 FM and on the web at www.veganradio.com. Thank you, Jerry. How you doing, Anya? Can we hear you? Good. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. <laughs> we like to get the local people in here, you know, and broadcast you all over the world so to our millions right of one. listeners. Yes. So what's going on with the farm? Well, well, tell us a little about what Touchstone Farm is, and then uh, and then what's the latest developments. Okay, um, Touchstone has been around since '86 and was one of the first organic farms in the valley. It was started by um, George or Shaker McNeil and his ex-wife Beth and their two daughters. And originally, they just started growing a, a lot of organic vegetables in East Hampton. Um, after several years, they started growing as well as f- vegetables, also flowers, organic flowers. And then in the late 80s, they opened the place up for retreats as well. And Native Americans came actually from um, Dakota, from the uh, Lakota Sioux, to do rituals there and uh, offered ceremonies for a couple of years. Also, there were lots of apprentices and interns who wanted to learn about uh, organic gardening. Then, uh, once those ceremonies started, there there was some problems with the town, and Touchstone was closed down for a year in '92, I think. And then there was 13 months of stillness, and then there were negotiations between Touchstone and the town, and the town. Um, 
zone touched on in as a recreation center because there were so many things happening, happening, farming, apprentices, guests, rituals, yoga classes, and circle dance. So we have been legal as a recreation center listed since 93. I came there in 96, and uh, when I came, there were lots of apprentices, and we had uh, yoga classes every morning. We still have been doing sacred circle dance uh, just since two weeks ago, every Friday and Saturday night, which is open to everyone. Uh, we were going to start a new yoga class last week, but we had some sudden changes. So tell us about the... Um Changes. Uh, you had an inspector come and close some things down? What happened was um, we had a beautiful addition this September. I don't know if you know Indigo Massage. they beautiful massage therapists. Mm -hmm. who, I do know them. Yeah. Who were uh, originally in Northampton. They had a studio. Then they moved to East Hampton. And they had some problems with the landlord in East Hampton. I think his name is Fedor. So they came to Touchstone in August, and they were wondering if we had a place. So we made some space for them, and they renovated a beautiful part of Touchstone and put in five massage rooms. They have a clinic for people to come in, to drop in twice a week, which is open to everyone. It's only $20 for massage or acupuncture appointment. So but in that time of renovating they had three inspectors come, and one of them was the building inspector. And um, I guess that's how he found out about Touchstone. First thing he said to them was, uh, I should condemn this place. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> but then um, they renovated, they put a lot of love and energy in, and so that was in September. They became uh, legal in December and had a beautiful open house. And then three weeks ago, uh, Shaker and me were not around. Uh, they, the fire marshal and the building inspector came and walked around Touchstone. We were not there. Somebody mm -hmm. saw this happening and looked in some buildings. Is it legal to do that while you're not there? I'm not sure. I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think it is. I don't know. That's my opinion. <laughs> We're working actually with a lawyer right now to really find out what is legal, what right. can they do, and right. what can we do. So that was around three weeks ago. Then a couple of days later, we got a letter from the building inspector saying that he was on the farm and he feels there are lots of violations. We are not up to code. There are fire hazards. He would like to set up an appointment. Oh, he also said in the letter that he heard that we were offering dance and that's not appropriate. What? And then also he read that we are a two-apartment family household, which we have been. We've been grandfathered in for 60 years. Right. So this letter was confusing because it's against our legal situation. Right. So we got the letter, we called him, we set up an appointment. He came with a fire marshal, I think exactly two weeks ago. They were there for one and a half hours. They had a camera and they made lots of photographs, went mm. to every building, and they were very um, upset with, you know, they found just lots of violations. And Right. Well, what do you think is behind this? I mean, what? why do you think there's this sudden interest from them? You think there's something behind this? Well, the interesting thing is that a couple of times the inspector mentioned 
especially towards the end, he said, you know, this is so much money to fix up. Why don't you just sell it for six or seven, seven hundred thousand? There are lots of developers in town waiting in line to buy this land. Uh -huh. wow. And I started laughing because of the numbers. You know, money is just like such a strange thing. And they stopped and they were quiet and they said, this is serious. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but Anya's like Anya's like me. She laughs at everything. Like you use laughter kind of like in any kind of situation, and that's like me. I understand that. Like you find humor in everything, you know, and it is funny. <laughs> totally funny that they'd even be there saying this stuff. Well, then two days. Capitalist. <laughs> Capitalism moving into Touchstone. Yep. So what? What can um? So then at the end, so Shaker tried to. The whole time, he kept saying, you know, we just, we will work on this. We get it all up to code and right. let's work together. But at the end, the inspector also said, you know, I think I want you to get a structural engineer to look at all the structures of all the buildings and give me, like, a report in what shape the buildings are in. But a structural engineer can be two to $4,000. Uh. So we felt, you know, there was no way to cooperate, really. So then that was on a Wednesday I think February 1st, and then two days later we got a letter for a cease and desist order for the cottage where we have saunas and hot tubs and like a meditation place, the barn, which is the dance and yoga studio, and the office where we actually do our recording, we record music, and where we do all our network and bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. And So we've been looking for a trailer to move the recording studio in. But, you know, so many things all at once is like a big shift. It's really overwhelming. So we stopped the dance for now, and we're kind of still in the space in between, not quite knowing. We contacted a lawyer who's helping us out, and all these people have been donating services. Nobody has been charging us right. so far. So is that... So what can our um, listeners locally, is there anything... Are you guys a non-profit? Or? We are not. We're small not. business. Okay. So there's... Um, no way to do tax-free contributions or anything. Is there any um, political action people can take to help you I out? I think the best right now would be to write a letter to the mayor or to the city council of East Hampton. I think they're both, the mayor, his name is Tom, I forgot his last name, but he's on 50 Payson Street, East Hampton, 01027. Uh, you can just write a letter and tell him what Touchstone means to you. Well, also, you can write one to the city council. Let's, we'll put that in our show notes. Yeah. That would be great. The other thing is, if we do decide to bring things up to code, like, I think we would start with the barn, because that's our center. You know, like, the Smith students come there and do their rituals and retreats, and they, I got an email this morning from them, and they want to rent the place, and I think I'm not able to... So are you looking for... Um like carpenters and yeah, people exactly. with, in the building trades that could yes. uh, do some pro bono or that would be cheap great. work. Okay. We were looking for a structural engineer. Uh, we did find one. We are working with a lawyer. We might need to uh, find another contractor. But actually we found somebody as well who wants to look at the buildings and give us an estimate. So there has, has been a lot of response of help. Okay. But writing is good. Writing to the mayor. Cool. And we, we want you to uh, stay there so you can keep providing organic <laughs> vegetables and spices to the community and Herbs. help us vegans out. <laughs> <laughs> we grow lots of kale. <laughs> lots of kale. That's, that's the, the best thing for you. Yeah, that's that's the superfood of <laughs> veganism. Um, so I think Anya's gonna 
Yeah, you're going to play us a little, ditty. A little sure. song. Sure. Um, we're, we're, we have a Dr. Gregor's calling us <laughs> in a little bit, so we want to move along so we could transition with um, some music. It looks like you know how to set this up. You've been in here before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been um, working with uh, Lone Wolf, uh, Joe, Is that Chuck Norris? Jeffrey Harp. He's doing the Hopi Vision every Sunday from... Oh. Uh, six to seven. So we've been doing that together for the last. They have a nice little six weeks. vegan brunch item section at Lone Wolf. Yeah. So um, do you need both? Uh, oh, you need the f- so. number four turned on. Yes. Okay, we'll see. Do you want to do a little test? You're all tuned up there. Uh, very nice. What's the song going to be? Uh, this calls many rivers, and um, I was traveling through. Europe for six years with my backpack and guitar uh, from 91 to 97 and this song was taught to me on the street in Germany and it was uh, the woman who taught it to me she said please play this wherever you go As they flow into the rainbow Shining over, shining As they grow to one big family Living, loving in the light As they grow to one big family Living, loving in the light 
ready. Beautiful, Anya. Thank, Thank you. you. Just want to say, if you want to find out more about Touchstone, you can also go to our website, which is sacredcircles.com. Sacred Circles. It's very beautiful. Well, I hope you guys can stay in, uh, stay in business over there. And I hope all our <laughs> listeners write to the mayor. Check yeah. our show notes for where you can do that. Thank for you. Toast, go talk to the mayor. So, um, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for coming. And for doing this great show. Oh, thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure to meet all kinds of great people and, <laughs> and be radio stars like we are. <laughs> Everyone can be uh, a star here, huh? It's a tough, tough job being a vegan radio star, let I me know. tell you. Everywhere we go, It's like we're mauled on the streets, you know? People are recognizing us left and right, right and left. I don't know. But, you know, it's yeah, worth it for the cause. Tough, we're, we are. Yeah. Hopefully somewhere there's somebody who's become vegan from listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> or at least uh, eating a lot of vegan treats. Or else they're at vegan least brownies. Thro- throwing vegetables at the radio or something. Throwing Hopefully we inspire something somewhere. <laughs> throwing vegetables at the radio. I can see that. Yeah, I can see it. Should we play a um, another bumper maybe? Why don't you play a little bumper? The Harold Brown bumper? Go for it. This is Farmer Brown, and you are listening to Vegan Radio on WXOJLP Northampton and online at www.veganradio.com. Listeners, Michael Greger, a vegan physician, um, goes around, does a lot of lecturing um, at different conferences. He's also available for one-on-one consultation. Um, you can email him as well, um, and I think I think we have contact. You on there, Michael? Yes. Oh wow, this is exciting. Good this is our first. Good uh, afternoon, Mister Doctor Michael Greger. This is our first live phone interview. I'm honored. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're honored to know you, Michael. Um, and we want to talk to you. <clears throat> We've got an upcoming show next week on a nationally syndicated program called Sprouts. It's distributed throughout the Pacifica network, so we have a chance to reach um, lots of listeners that don't normally hear our show. And um, so we thought we should contact the foremost expert in uh, vegan doctor stuff. (laughs) Vegan doctor stuff? Wow, you sounded really professional, Derek. Well, you know, I leave that to you. I got a degree in the the VDS. I'm the working class vegan. In the VDS. I'm the working class vegan that our blue collar listeners can identify with. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so tell us um, about a little about your credentials, I guess, before we get to the the uh, tofu of the conversation. Oh God. Um, I uh, graduated from uh, Cornell University School of Agriculture and uh, Tufts University School of Medicine. I'm a a founding member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and have been doing this for a number of years, specializing in clinical nutrition. And you have a couple books? Um, Latest was Carbophobia, the Scary Truth Behind America's Low-Carb Craze. Um, which is actually available online, free, full text at atkinsexposed.org. That's right. You're kind of like an anarchist doctor that likes to uh, subvert the capitalist system while you're uh, helping people transition to veganism at the same time, right? People should not be profiteering off of uh, off of good health. That's right. 
So um, <clears throat> what are the health benefits of the vegan diet? Well, you know, the World Health Organization just uh, 2004 finally published their long-awaited global strategy on diet, which was unanimously endorsed by all 192 countries in the United Nations. The report blames the growing pandemic of global chronic disease on greater saturated fat intake from animal sources, reduced intakes of complex carbohydrates, dietary fiber, and reduced fruit and vegetable intakes, basically blames you know, kind of our global epidemic of obesity, cancer, heart disease, diabetes on basically the exactly the kind of diet that Americans eat. And some of these low-carb advocates push even farther in that direction. The World Health Organization, which unlike some of the U.S. governmental bodies, which have been unduly influenced by industry, the World Health Organization has been able to kind of maintain some kind of scientific objectivity, and they are calling for a, a limitation of the consumption of saturated animal grease and what they call an increase in consumption of fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, and nuts. So those, so in their words, uh, a, a more plant-based or plant-centered diet. That sounds like a good diet. <laughs> so um, as far as um, we've talked to some other um, people about curing um, diseases with veganism. And, yeah, what are some, do you have any cases that you've seen that, that highlight kind of the vegan diet and how it cures things? Well, it's really these chronic diseases that, um, that you know, the World Health Organization is talking about, like diabetes, like heart disease. You know, your body wants to be healthy, right? I mean, you're, you know, it's only, you know, your body doesn't want to get cancer. So, I mean, only when you, you know, injure your lungs with every puff of every cigarette does over the long term one predispose, one increase one's risk. Whereas, you know, you start smoking, you stop, you know, much of the smoke damage can be healed. The same thing with the, you know, the inner walls of one's arteries. I mean, your arteries want to be healthy. Heart disease is not a kind of natural consequence of old age. There are areas in this world, like rural China, where basically heart disease is unknown until they start eating like us. And, and we start damaging the inner walls of our arteries, building up these atherosclerotic plaques, this hardening of the arteries with saturated fat and cholesterol. And, uh, you know, and, and now in the uh, Western world, heart disease is the number one killer. And only if you, you know, with these daily, sometimes three times a day, you know, assaults on one's arteries, does one eventually leave, you know, come down with these kind of diseases. So at any point we can stop that kind of continuous assault, eat um, healthier, and we can allow our bodies to uh, do some of that healing. Now, having said that, you know, you smoke for 50 years and then stop smoking, you know, your risk of lung cancer doesn't drop immediately. Um, it takes much time, and one may come down with lung cancer after all. It may have kind of been too late. The same thing with um, with plant-based diets. I mean, after eating, you know, after kind of coating one's digestive tract with milkshakes and, and, and chicken nuggets all one's life, one can't, you know, expect that instantly by all of a sudden eating healthier foods, fruits and vegetables, etc., that, um, you know, they'll be able to reverse a lifelong, um, you know, bad, uh, bad diet. But once one does 
um, start eating healthier, one can uh, slowly, you know, bring what down one's cholesterol, better control one's weight, better control one's blood sugar and triglycerides. And so you can see, and that actually happens very quickly. I mean, within, you, you know, you can put people on these diets one week, two weeks, their cholesterol's better, their blood pressure's better, you can start getting people off medications. Um, but, uh, you know, that's really just the beginning. And the reason I do those labs is because, you know, it really, it really inspires people because they may not feel necessarily different, but you can say, well, wait a second, a week ago you had elevated cholesterol, now your cholesterol's fine, your blood pressure's fine, we can get you off these medications, we can get you off these some of these diabetes medications. Yeah. And that excites people. People do not want to take drugs for every day for the rest of their life. They're expensive, they may have side effects. And so I mean that's that's and so I can show them that indeed their body is going the right direction. And if they stick to it, if they really stick to it, um, then slowly but surely, you know, and we have, you know, we have actual, you know, diagnostic evidence. I mean you can do you know, uh, imaging inside people's arteries, these so-called nuclear spect scans, and you can actually see the blood flow to through the coronary arteries, the, the arteries that provide blood flow to the actual heart muscle to allow it to pump. These are the arteries that if you get a clog, you get a heart attack, it may die. And you can actually see the blood flow increase in these clogged arteries. Um, and indeed, we can reverse clinical heart disease. We can turn back these uh, these symptoms. This is what Dr. Dean Orner showed back in 1990. Now he's working with cancer patients. He's trying to show that you may be able to reverse, um, not just slow down or stop, but reverse progression of uh, of diet-related uh, cancers like prostate cancer. And so this is a very exciting field. So unlike many of the rest of my colleagues, who's, you know, the best thing they can do all day is prescribe yet another drug to, you know, counteract the, the, the symptom that was, you know, the side effect of the drug that they gave last appointment. I mean, I, you know, doctors doing lifestyle medicine can actually make people better and not just kind of control the symptoms. Wow. Have you seen any advances with medical doctors and starting to, like, have a better grip on nutrition? Unfortunately, they're not getting they're not getting this in medical school. There's, um, on average, doctors just get a few hours of nutrition training during during their entire 2,000 hours of preclinical instruction. There's actually a study, one of my favorite studies, published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, it was actually a head-to-head test of nutrition knowledge: doctors versus patients. Guess who won? <laughs> patients. I mean, people off the street know more about nutrition it's crazy. than their doctors, yet people continue to go to their doctors for advice about healthy eating habits, and what their doctors is telling them is killing them. Right. It's not too long ago where your doctors were telling, telling pregnant women to smoke cigarettes to help ease the morning sickness. Right? So, you know, until doctors know more about nutrition, they're advising you about your diet is physician-assisted suicide. Wow. It's kind of like we're living in the dark ages still and getting bled by leeches and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, real quick, um, we're running out of time, but we'd like to, uh, we've talked to some raw foodists, and um, obviously, you know, there's a, just a vegan diet itself isn't a cure-all. There's like a range of um, healthy ways of eating from, you know, people who go vegan for ethical reasons might just eat uh, french fries and uh, whatever processed um, fake meat products and then there's people who eat a raw food diet and have actually cured themselves from you know advanced cases of cancer and things just by eating a totally raw diet do you have any 
um, advice on nutrition as far as a vegan diet? Well, I mean, as you said, I mean, just because you're one is eating a plant-based diet doesn't mean they're necessarily eating healthy. I mean, some of the unhealthiest foods on the planet, like margarine, like french fries, you know, do indeed, um, you know, can be even worse um, than some of these animal products. So it's important to eat a healthy diet. And so when I talk about a plant-based diet, I talk about a whole foods diet. Um, and so we're eating, you know, you know, brown rice, whole wheat instead of the refined grains, right? We're not eating the refined sugars. We're getting our sugar through fruit. I mean, it's kind of the way nature intended. Now, in terms of, of uh, difference between, for example, a vegan and a raw vegan diet, I mean, the raw food is the reason that people do so well, at least short-term on raw foods, particularly people who are unhealthy, who are obese, who have some of these chronic diseases, is because they stop eating all the crap. I mean, you, you can't be on a raw food diet and still you know, eat, you know, donuts and all the other crap that people used to eat. And so when some of these people go not on a raw diet, but they go on a vegan diet, then they just eat the vegan crap. They eat the vegan donuts. They eat the, you know, and then... I love those vegan donuts. (laughs) But then they don't fit well. You're healthy. I mean, but, um, but, I mean, but if you, you know, if you were suffering from, you know, debilitating arthritis and you were so obese you couldn't get out of bed to check your insulin levels, you know, eating, you know, the five more vegan donuts is, you know, not the best (laughs) part. Um... And so, but, but, and so that's why some people say, well, hey, you know, I tried veganism and, you know, I, I didn't get better, but then I went raw and I did. Well, the, but the, what they probably weren't on was a whole foods vegan diet. Um, one can still be unhealthy. Um, uh, so, um, but I do not see an advantage to a raw vegan diet over a whole food diet. In fact, when you do dietary surveys of people on raw diets, one finds they're often deficient in protein and energy and calcium and um, uh, in vitamin B12, obviously. Um, and so it's, it's uh, I, and, and some of these longer-term studies on, for example, the Hallelujah Diet participants have run into problems with osteoporosis and some other issues. Um, and so I do not recommend a raw diet, particularly for children who don't have the stomach capacity to be able to handle such a calorie-dilute diet. Um, uh, but, but if, if you're people, on death's door, it might be a good thing to do for a little bit. But, but, but I mean, for adults, as a, as a clinical intervention, not a lifelong practice, but as a clinical intervention, you know, to get people, it's like fasting. Some people find, for example, from blood pressure, we have good data that, you know, medically supervised fasts are very helpful. But then if you go back to eating the old crap, you know, you're going to have problems again. So, but it can be a good transition. So you fast, and then you start a healthier plant-based diet, and you can make maintain the benefits that you got from the fast. Same thing with a raw food diet. One can um, uh, undertake a raw food diet for two weeks, um, you know, take off some of that initial weight um, and, uh, and get some better values and then transition to a healthier, I think, diet, a whole food diet centered, again, as the World Health Organization has proposed, fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, and nuts, really the healthiest possible foods. All right. Well, we have to cut it off here. we got another program coming on. Thanks, Michael. Um, it was really great to talk to you, and we'll look forward to talking about some other stuff in future shows. Um, so thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me on. All have right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening to Vegan Radio. Um, that's it for our show. We're going to leave you with uh, Meat is Murder from the Smiths while the next DJs come in and get set up. Your personal favorite. We're going to be on every other Thursday from noon to one, and you can check out our show. You can download any of our shows at veganradio.com. Give us about a day to get this one up on the net. Want to say goodbye, Megs? Goodbye.
Keep listening to Vegan Radio, where you get all your great vegan news. (laughs) Rock on. Smile. 